Welcome to Infinite Discussion, the show where we cut through the small talk and discuss the things that are most important to us. I'm your host, Will. I'm a writer and content creator, and what's important to me is representation. It's important to be able to see ourselves in the media we consume and the stories that surround us and form our culture. Today, I'm very excited to welcome author David R. Slayton to join me in the discussion. I'm David R. Slayton. I'm the author of the Adam Binder novels. Um, the first one, White Trash Warlock, came out in October of 2020. The second book, Trailer Park Trickster, is out in October 2021. And the third book, Deadbeat Druid, will be out next year, 2022, from Blackstone Publishing in ebook, paperback, and audio. Thank you so much for joining me, David. I really appreciate it. And I'm really excited to have you here to talk about representation because I think you're the perfect person for it. Your writing is amazing. And like it's, it's given me characters that I can see myself in, worlds that I want to visit and to be able to inhabit. And it, it just relieves that like last barrier between immersing yourself in a story to be able to say, okay, this is a character I can identify with fully. So I, I really appreciate that and think it's really cool. Thank you, Will. Thank you for having me. And I'm kind of blushing a little because, you know, phrase. So you fully deserve it. And, and I, just, I just want to say, like, Adam, the main character in this trilogy, he's so cool because he's like this really down to earth, realistic character that you can really relate to in many ways. And then he's also like a really well written gay character that is also a badass and not like like the kind of stereotypes that we see if we're lucky to see a gay character in a book or on TV or anywhere. So I think there's a, a real need for these kind of characters and these stories that you're telling. Thank you. Yeah, Adam's, Adam is definitely a hero. I might take a little bit of um, argument with badass as he would, because when it comes to the magical world that he, in, that he inhabits, he's very low on the totem pole, as it were, or he has very little power compared to the beings he has to contend with and deal with. So, which is a lot of his charm in that, you know, you get a lot of urban fantasies where the character is really powerful and they're throwing fireballs, and casting these big spells and doing big, big magic. That's not Adam's power set. His power set is much more subtle. He's sensitive to magic and can see it, but because he flies under the radar, he can detect other things hiding there. And that's his real value to the magical community. Yeah, he's a really cool character. And I think that's one of the things that made me, I don't know if it made me click with him more or just made me more interested in the world and the story is that he he thinks of himself that way. He thinks like, I don't have much power. Like everyone else has more power than me. And that's a really cool kind of different twist on on these kind of ideas. And like like with, um, with White Trash Warlock, it, it kicks off right in the thick of it. And it's not like the origin story of how he discovers his powers or anything. He knows it, like he knows himself. And I think that's, that's really cool and really powerful too, to have a character that, you know, they, knew who, they know who they are, they know their strengths and weaknesses. And it makes him a really intriguing, compelling character that's easy to relate to. I don't know how many times I could say thank you in one interview, but I, I appreciate that. He's, Adam has a lot of me in him. I grew up like him in Guthrie, Oklahoma. Like him, I'm a high school dropout. I've gone on to earn some college degrees since and tried to make up for it where I can and traveled and get beyond that world. I live in Denver, Colorado now, so in much more, I live in an urban setting as opposed to a rural, but that is my background. And 
that was one of the main reasons I wrote Adam the way that I did was I read urban fantasy. I love fantasy. But when it comes to urban fantasy, the character always inhabits a mega city like Chicago or New York or L.A. and wonderful books with great characters in those settings. I hadn't read I hadn't read anything set in Denver, where I'm from or where I live now. And I hadn't read anything with a rural fantasy component about somebody from a small town or the country or the kind of the woods where I grew up. And I wanted to see that reflected on the page. And that's kind of honestly my whole mission statement. It's the whole reason I write the books I do is I want to see myself on the page. So having a gay character like Adam, having a character from a rural area whose background aligns to mine. And there's a lot of things about Adam's background too that are difficult and they were difficult to write. He grew up with food insecurity. He grew up with a very abusive father. He grew up with in it with a difficult life. And that's me. That's where I come from. That that's the life I had. And that I I grew up in a trailer in the woods, just like Adam. And I never could see that on the page. So I said, let's uh let's put that out there. Let's let's reflect that experience. That's awesome. I'm glad you did, because I think there are a lot of people out there who feel the same and struggle to find books where they see themselves. And I find that rural component really compelling too. I also grew up in a rural area and it's something that when you do see a rural setting, it, it often feels off. Like it'll feel like they try too hard or people are too nice. Often I find like it's a charming small town. Like that, that's not what it was like for me, at least there's like the small town, like people are nice and kind on the surface sometimes, but that's not always the case through and through. And when you know people too well, sometimes you can be a little too friendly in other ways. So I find that really cool. Like he really rings true as, as a character and then the setting itself is really a big part of it. And I really enjoyed that as well. Yeah. I love what you said there because that's so true of the American Midwest or the Southern experience where somebody can be very, what's, what's the big Southern insult? Oh, bless, bless your heart. Mm -hmm. You know, and bless your heart is like, it's a positive phrase, but it's actually incredibly patronizing. Like it's, oh, you're stupid. That's what it's really saying. Or, oh, you don't get it. And I think that sums up what you're saying about a lot of small town life is it often can be this, you know, we, we get, like you said, in media, we get a lot of presentations of it where it's very sunny and happy and idyllic particularly when you look at things like Christmas movies about romance or whatever, small town life is so idyllic, but there, you know, people are just people wherever you go. And that means there's good, bad, you know, and, you know, in, in my case, um, a lot of other issues around that rural upbringing, substance abuse, um, a lack of education, a lack of opportunities, food insecurity. And even in a small town, you have a class system. You have the wrong side of town and the right side of town. You have the people like me who grew up in the woods versus the people who live in the town. And, um, you know, what kind of house do you live in? Or do you live in a trailer? Is there a stigma with that? Um, so, yeah, it's, it's very interesting uh, that I like it when we see class differences in media. I love, I love it when a class difference is reflected. Charlene Harris's Sookie Stackhouse books Sookie is always stressing out about bills and she's always cleaning. And those are very humanizing traits. She uses the library because she cannot afford to buy books. That's an important trait about Sookie. There's a, she, one of the first jobs she takes for the vampires is because she needs new gravel for her driveway. 
And that's such a, so that, that just that minute when I read that in one of the books, I said, ah, then I just felt that. <laughs> this is real. Yeah. That she gets it. Uh, and she talked about the different types of gravel too, which was funny how the gravel, like she, she, Suki really wants the fancy gravel that is jagged. So it interlocks and doesn't do as much damage to your tires. I'm like, okay. Harris knows of what she speaks, you know, very much so. And I think it's really interesting too, that we, we're talking about kind of this intersectionality too, because representation, I think, isn't just one thing. It's not just seeing a person like you or an experience they're going through experience like you did, but it's all of these things because people and stories are way more complex than one thing. So I, I think that's really interesting. We've kind of touched on it already, but just to put it out there, what does representation mean to you personally or as a concept or how do you see it? For me personally, and again, my experience is my experience and I want to make that very clear. Um, representation is meaning I want to be able to find a book and be able to see myself on the page. I want to be able to relate to this character. I, I don't relate to, like, like Schitt's Creek is very popular um, in the gay community. A lot of people love that show, but I couldn't get into it because I was like, oh, poor rich people having to live like I lived. I'm so sorry for you. That never resonated with me. Like I could never get past that. And people keep saying, oh, just get past that. It gets better. But I couldn't get past. You're never going to convince me that, oh, poor rich person who lost your mansion. That's, that's tough for me to empathize with. I can't see myself in that or feel sorry for you. Right. I actually had the same experience with the show and I did, I did get past it eventually. And I don't know why or what happened, but I was very turned off for the first like several episodes, I guess, until I fully was able to laugh at the characters. But yeah, like I, I felt that same kind of struggle to get into it. And that's what I feel again with a lot of, I feel like this is more TV shows than books. I feel like there will be this, this small town that's just so charming and quaint and everyone's so happy and the gay characters don't have any problem fitting in there if there is there's like usually a token one who's like a side character maybe the main character's best friend to get more ratings and they're just kind of like off to the side but everyone treats them just fine everything's cool and it just nothing feels right like every literally every detail feels off there's that um that great movie sweet home alabama with the guy that gets outed towards the end he gets out it, I think, halfway through the movie when she's being awful. And there's this moment where I really liked that moment because basically everybody knew the character was gay. But until somebody said it out loud, it wasn't an open thing. And you could, you know, and there's, you get a lot of that in Midwestern and Southern culture, kind of what we were saying about, you know, people here in the States, there's a lot of as long as nobody says it, we can ignore it. And you see a lot of that kind of little denialism about reality. That was something I experienced a lot of with my family when I came out. As long as they could pretend, it was, it was all one thing to know that I was gay, which was very clear from an early age. But when I first got a boyfriend, that was a very different thing, <laughs> right? It that's had a completely real. different impact when I started dating. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think you touched on something that kind of comes to mind for me too, is that when I was growing up in the rural South, I felt like I didn't know what it meant, what like a gay person was, or that it was a real thing. Like it seemed like this magical unicorn of a thing that I heard about, you know, like in 
stories are usually in like bad jokes and things like that. Uh, it didn't seem like something that was real until years and years later. And once I finally met real gay people, I guess that was a form of representation in the community and in my life. I couldn't piece together my own sexuality until I had examples and had and was able to see that in the world. And sometimes those examples are negative. I remember when Will and Grace was really a first really on the scene and I had all these people saying, well, do you dress in drag? Do you, um, do you want to be my gay best friend? Are you, uh, there's that cute, cute movie, gay best friend GBF. And it gets into all this where he's like, I just want to read my comic books and, you know, schlep my way through high school. And no, you have to dress this way and you have to be fabulous. And he's, and you have to talk this way and act this way. And I loved that because he's like, why? <laughs> and I, I felt that so much when I first found my first kind of gay community in Denver of, but I'm not, but I'm not like that. That's, that's, and I saw people trying to kind of mold themselves into a certain stereotype or into a certain model of gayness that didn't apply to me. So I, I love that for Adam. There's a scene early on where somebody asks him about a dress. He says, she's like, what did you think of my dress? And he's like, I don't know. What do I know about women's clothing? Which is exactly the answer I would give. I can't tell you how many times I randomly get asked to help plan weddings or to help a woman shop for clothes. I'm like, I wear four colors. I am clueless <laughs> in fashion. Don't ask me. Um, and it's, it's interesting how that, that permeates. It's, it's tied off now, I think, as people get a wider idea and more examples in media and a broader idea. And I'm hoping to add to that conversation with characters like Adam or Vic. Yeah, I think it's, it is getting better, but there's a long way to go. And Adam is a great, a great way to get people there. Like, I don't feel like he's exactly like me, but I feel like there are a lot of things about him that are, you know, changing that perception. And that makes me feel more represented. Characters don't have to be exactly like us for us to identify deeply with them and for people to, other people to get it, right? For maybe a reader who hasn't met many gay people and has a positive mindset, but also these stereotypes in mind from what they've seen in the media. And then they read a character like this and they think, oh, and, and it clicks because they see it. And I think that's really important and really valuable. Yeah. I think diversity of exposure is something we could talk about, about representation and, and who should write who. Mm-hmm. Diversity of exposure increases, you know, you, you see more examples, you get beyond the stereotype and we don't have to just show up as the comedy relief. We don't have to show up as the sassy best friend. And I love that. I love that how we are represented in media is changing. I, I love that you see black gay characters. I love that you see overweight gay characters. I like that you see, you know, we're not just a certain body type or look anymore. And that's so great because it's like, ah, I can breathe, you know, watching media and it's happy. I really love the show Nailed It on Netflix, the Mm -hmm. cooking show. There was a great episode last season with this brother-sister team and the brother Cameron said, I'm here to represent the average gays. And I'm like, oh yeah, I remember him. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, I was just cheering that kid on so hard. Like, yes, go boy. (laughs) Like, oh, thank you. That is great. Yeah, I hope I hope we see more and more of that. And I think we are. It just needs to continue. It needs to keep going. We need to see more diverse characters of all kinds. 
And you touched on it a bit. Uh, and that is something I would like to get into is this idea of own voices and who's sharing these stories, where they're coming from, because a lot of that, well, there is a lot to unpack there. And, and what do you think of this? Like, what do you think of, for example, an author writing a gay character, but the author is straight or, you know, they're just writing some different sexuality? I don't want to limit anyone's, I, I want to thread a very careful line here because I have very strong feelings about this in, in two directions. So I'm going to make two very clear points about how I feel about it. Again, this is my opinion, my experience. One, I don't want to just read books with white cis gay dudes. I've been to those parties. They are super boring, right? I don't want to be, you know, I go to those parties and be like, where are the women? Where are the people of color? This is very dull. I love that when you see more people writing a wider array of characters, it broadens the palette. It, I, I can see, okay, it's nice to be represented. It's nice to be there. And I wish there was a more of that. I was really sad that Finn and Poe in the latest Star Wars trilogy didn't get to get be together, which, you know, Oscar Isaac was just exhausted by. He's like, why couldn't we just do this? It's what year is this? But at the same time, while I say that, so right. And there's, and there's no identity police, you know, there's no one's going to stop you from writing it. And no one, and quite often traditional publishing is going to let you publish whatever you want. That said, the other point is if you are writing about trauma, or oppression. For, for example, in my books, there is a practitioner, Sarah. She's a Black woman. You may be shocked to know that I am not a Black woman. I know, right? We're on camera, for those of you listening, so <laughs> you can see me. Uh, that said, I'm not going to write Sarah as a main character with a narrative about the experience of a Black woman in America and the racism and what she experiences. I might touch on it to respect the fact that it's a thing and acknowledge that that's a reality in the world, but I'm not going to write Sarah's story as a black woman discussing racism and what she would go through because that's not, that's not my experience. It's not my lane. So if you're going to write about the closet or you're going to write about AIDS or coming out and you don't have that experience and your privilege protects you from that experience in such a way I reserve the right to give you side eye. Um, I reserve the right to not support your book or to read it because at that point, I worry that you're profiting off of my pain and you're profiting off of pain of the pain of people like me when you don't, when you can't really understand it. Um, I was having this conversation with an author. He was, he's an independent author who is writing, he's writing a book about a, the main characters are a gay couple, they're dragon shifters, they've been together forever. And this, the topic of bi-erasure came up by a question in the audience. And he said, well, you know, the, the, the nice thing about bisexuality is that you can just be with anybody anytime. And the bi people in the audience were just groaning, like that's a stereotype mm -hmm. because you don't have our experience um, that we hate that stereotype, please stop it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so it was, a, I was like, yeah, it, that's exactly what I'm saying. It's like, you shouldn't be writing about, you know, and if you are going to write that, or you, or if you are going to include characters who are diverse, please talk to them. I'm a chatty guy, obviously. <laughs> so, but you know, I, in my book, I have Vic Martinez, who is Mexican. He is living a certain experience. I talked to people. I interviewed people. If you can, if you can afford sensitivity readers, hire them pay them, get people outside of your experience to inform it. Because even as a gay man, again, I'm very, I'm very aware of the fact that my experience as a white gay cis man 
it's going to be very different than anyone else's. And I have to constantly be aware of the privilege that being a white male gives me in our society, in our world. I wouldn't want to write about the oppression of a black gay man because that's, you know, I, so again, if you're going to write characters whose experience is beyond your own, talk to people, get sensitivity readers. And again, if you're thinking of writing a book about coming out of the closet or AIDS or something to do with gay trauma, and you're not actually gay, I'm going to probably be a little grumpy about it. That's really well said. I really like all of those points that you just made. Like, I think it's great because we need more representation. We need people exploring areas outside of their own experience and sharing stories, but we also don't want to take away the space of those own voices, people trying to tell their own stories. So I think you said that really well. And I really like that. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's something I think about a lot. It's something that comes up a lot in my writing circles and in my community and of writers. And um, Harlequin just published their first romance with a gay male, with a gay couple as the leads. And it was written by a woman, as most male male romance fiction is. And it, there's a very solid business reason for that. She has a great sales track record. She's very well known in that community. Her audience is going to follow her to Harlequin. That book won't tank. But there's a certain, I also feel a certain amount of sadness that a gay guy didn't get to write that story. Mm-hmm. That's where I, where it becomes tricky is when you're taking away opportunities from people to tell their own stories. So I think, yeah, that's a really tough line to toe. And like you said, there are reasons why people who are already successful in that field, like you said, are telling these stories, even though it's not their stories, because, and maybe that is the best way to get the story across for now. But you know that there are people out there who could have written the story from their own experiences. Yeah. And it just depends too on how, what the book is dealing with too. I do read a lot of male, male fiction and quite a bit of the male, male romance. Some of it's really good. And it's, it is, I do appreciate it when the authors steer away from the conversations about oppression or trying to capitalize on the trauma. And at the same time when they do, or they try to get more into the authentic experience, it so often falls flat because they're not, you can tell they, they just don't have it. Um, or there's a paper doll syndrome. This is clearly just a man and a woman and they've just changed the effects right. of one character to be a man and the way that they interact particularly in romantic situations, it can be very telling of like, yeah, you, you just flipped this. You don't, mm-hmm. you don't really understand the mechanics or the what's going on in the scene. Right. Yeah. I see a lot of that too. It's just, and again, it goes back to that feeling of like, this just doesn't feel quite right. Something off about this. I can tell that you're not like, you're not living that experience. You're, you're just trying to insert yourself into it, I guess. Without. And sometimes, sometimes there's an unfortunate negative aspect that could be homophobic where one of the guys is treating the other guy in this incredibly abusive manner that is like if you were flipping that to male female would be misogynistic right Mm -hmm. very dominating and submissive and and that was that always perturbs me but again when i do see good representation like gail Carriger's books that are male male I, you know, I'm cheering it on. There's plenty of positive representation out there too, but it's a, it can be a difficult line and there's definitely a darker pool of it out there if you're not careful where you're stepping. For sure. And there's one specific book I was going to ask your opinion about if you've read it, but um, have you read The Starless Sea by any chance? I have not. It, 
to be honest, I've been writing so heavy the last two and a half years. My, I've been very careful about reading anything fantasy adjacent. So mm. I have been reading a lot of romance. I've been reading a lot of nonfiction. I've been reading a lot of mysteries and thrillers. Of course, now my brain wants to write one of those. So it's funny when I'm when I'm writing heavy in a genre, I won't read in that genre. So it's somewhere on the TBR. And if I ever start really delving into contemporary mystery or thrillers, then I'll probably pull it up. But I, I tend to stay out of the lane I'm in at that time because I don't want the voices creeping in. So I have, I have to admit, and I only hear good things, but I have not read it. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. But I was just bringing it up because I think it's a really interesting, like it has a gay main character. It's written by a woman. I, I honestly, I think it's complex and interesting, but I don't know honestly what to make of it because I think the, the room, there's a romance that happens in the novel with the main character and another guy. And it's, I guess it's kind of like a love at first sight situation and it's not really, it just happens. And it feels very like on the sidelines and it it feels kind of like it was either edited out, the details were edited out or it was maybe just trying to play it safe. Um, So I think that's a really interesting example. I, I know there are a lot of books like that. It was just one that I read recently. And I was like, I wonder what's like, what's going on here? Insta love is a trope where, you know, where two characters meet yeah. and immediately fall for it. And I'm, I've been accused of that because I have like a, which I really like the way that I handle the romance in my book, by the way, I'm very proud of it. But one thing that was me when I was 19, I met another guy. We had worked together for a while. So I didn't know him. It wasn't like the first time I had ever met him, but we, we were at a party and our eyes locked and there was this very solid moment of like connection. So I do think that when you are gay sometimes and you finally get out into the community or you get out exposed to somebody, you can form a very quick instant connection like that. So I I do have love at first sight isn't quite right, but when you like, there's the old cliche joke about how, what does a lesbian bring on the second date a U-Haul and but i think that's because you have when you find somebody you do click with you you can click very quickly when i was single about 10 years ago i was dating a couple of different guys and there'd been a guy talking to me online and i was like ah, okay fine i gave him a date because i didn't we've been talking online and i wasn't really interested i didn't think it was all all that but then i walked in the restaurant and everyone else ceased to exist it was very much like within five minutes, this is, this is the guy. And it was such a strange feeling. Cause I didn't, I hadn't felt that since I was a teenager. I thought it was very much a teen kind of thing for my first love. So I, I don't know. It's, I do romance to me. I lo- I have a romance in every book I write, whether it's epic fantasy or a space opera, it's an integral part to my stories. That said, I feel like if you're going to have a romance, get in or get out, you know, <laughs> make it part of the story make it intrinsic, make it natural and organic, or, but don't make it just a, oh, and then, and then there's this thing over here, right? Like, I feel like if, if, if the romance is part of it, it should be part of, I, and I like a romance. I like a story. I also really believe that because I do want positive representation and we can talk about barrier gaze all day, probably if we have the time, mm-hmm. I, I believe strongly in happy ever after or happy for now now while i believe in happy endings i do believe they're often hard won so you're gonna have to fight for it right it's not gonna because that's and that's life you especially when you grow up 
like I did, finding happiness, being happy takes a lot of work and a relationship takes a lot of work. So I believe in happy endings, but you can't just get them for free. You have to work for them. I like that. That's important. I also like happy endings, but yeah, they if they feel too easy, then it doesn't feel real again. Um, and I think that's why like sometimes these kind of like off the page kind of romances don't ring true. And like you said, like, I think, yeah, there are a lot of instant love stories and, and definitely in the gay community as well. Um, I've had similar experiences and I think, but I think it's just what you said, like, there's a reason for that. There's a feeling and you know, it's, it's something different and that needs to be on the page that needs to be felt by the reader for it to ring true. You need to, you need to feel what the character's feeling or understand what's motivating them or their past experiences or something that's going to make you click and make you feel that with them. I also think that we change and evolve. So it's a bit of a spoiler, but in White Trash Warlock, Adam has to confront his first love. And he was much younger. He was just a teen when he fell in love the first time, much like I was. And it wasn't a healthy relationship. It was pretty one-sided in a lot of ways. It wasn't fair to him. It's very interesting the reactions I get to Adam's romantic situations and when people write me or, or review the books, because there, there are, there's a t- contingent of people out there who want to see him with Parak, who want to see him with his first love. And my, my, which it, how readers interpret your work is entirely up to them. And, and that I want to make that very clear. I'm not here to say, no, this is how it should be because I, that's part of being a reader is you get to interpret it your way. But for me, my interpretation is that's not healthy. (laughs) That's not somebody he should be with. Adam shouldn't choose to go back there because it wouldn't be in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Um, What is the Bridget Jones, which as a feminist, that movie, I like, ah, it's funny. And at the same time, it's like so terribly unfeminist. But when she goes back to the toxic guy, I'm like, what are you doing? Mm And then shout at the screen or the book at the pages of the book. Throw throw the pages of the book at the screen. There you yeah. go. Two birds with one stone. There you go. Exactly. Let's talk a little bit about specific reading experiences, talking about pages. What was the first time, if you can remember clearly, I don't know if I could, <laughs> that you remember seeing a character like you in a book where you're like, oh yes, this this is like I feel like I can fully dive into this story and connect with this character. Oh, this is a tough answer for lots of reasons. So when it comes to the rural experience and the family dynamics and some of what I grew up with, Pat Conroy's The Prince of Tides. Now that is not dealing with the gay thing at all, though he has a positive, um, positive gay character in that book that I was very, very grateful to see when I was 18 reading it and bawling my eyes out. That book was the first book I ever read where I cried because I felt like somebody else had been through what I had been through. Now that book deals with a lot of heavy, heavy topics. And as a trigger warning, including um, there's rape, there's sexual abuse, assault. That was not part of my background. But when it came to the other parts about the Southern denial of the bad stuff, pretending like everything's fine, all the tension floating beneath the surface in the family, that part just, it had me in tears. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he had a beautiful, Pat Conroy wrote beautiful turns of phrase. So that was, the, that was the first time I ever saw that side of myself represented in a book. The gay part, to be honest, I never really have. 
the way to, again, being a rural gay with my upbringing, the things I dealt with, which is largely why I wrote Adam into White Trash Warlock. When I started writing White Trash Warlock, I had the monster, I had the brother, I had the possession, I had Denver, I had all this, all the fantasy elements were there, but I didn't have a main character. And that project had been simmering over here for a long time in my brain. And then I was driving through North Carolina and listening to the radio and the trees were creeping over the road and the moon was coming down and Adam just popped into my head. Mm -hmm. And ultimately that was very easy because Adam is largely me. And I said, you know what? That's one thing in an urban fantasy is I don't ever see this. I don't ever see me. And so that's why I wrote the book is I wanted to see my rural experience, what I grew up with on the page. It's kind of a bit of a trick answer, but the, but the truth is until I wrote it, I hadn't seen it. Yeah. I think that's a great answer because I, I was trying to think about it too. And, and why I connected so strongly with White Trash Warlock. I first read it about a year ago, I guess. And I loved it at the time. And then I wanted to read it again before the next book comes out. Uh, so I was revisiting it. And I'm actually like, I'm about two thirds of the way through it right now. But I'm like, what's going to happen next? Like, I, I know what's going to happen next. Like, not, I don't remember a detail, but like, I'm still super engaged. And I'm not skimming anything like I normally would, like rereading a book so soon. And I think that is a lot because too, like I couldn't think of any other books like that where you have like this really strong gay protagonist who's who's like this this cool character and not a stereotype in any way and is just, is very heroic, like you said too. I love Adam because, and I think he's better than me in a lot of ways. He's not, um, you know, in some ways we always kind of write a certain level of our ideal self, I think, but. I love that he does the right thing, even when it's for people who don't deserve it. Mm -hmm. That's something, something I really appreciate about him. I love that in superheroes, uh, Wonder Woman, Supergirl, which is it's unfortunate because this trait is often given to female characters where they, Supergirl, when I was watching the series in its early years, I haven't, I don't have much time for TV these days, but she can she has a villain attack her and then goes and sees her in the hospital i loved that i love that she has that element that's something it's a big part of wonder woman's background as a hero is that she tries to redeem her villains half the time she takes them to you know themiscara paradise island and the amazons try to rehabilitate them i think that's such an important aspect of their characters that I, I wanted Adam to be like that because he, that to me, that's heroic. To me, heroism is doing the right thing. He goes, and this is not a big spoiler because it's in the first few chapters, but he goes to Denver to help his sister-in-law, even though his brother's not a good person and hasn't been good to him. Adam and him, Adam and Bobby have a terrible background, as you know, from reading it. But I loved that he chose to do that. He chose to help his family even what, despite what they've done to him. And I'm not sure I could make the same choice if I was in his shoes. He's better than me in that regard. I would waffle more, I think. Yeah, that would be a really tough decision. I love that setup, like that just kicks off the whole novel with this, like it makes him face his past and it's his own decision to do so because he, yeah, he could have just said no and walked away like too much, 
baggage, too much history. I don't owe them anything. I need to, you know, go my own way. But he's like, no, I, I've got to do this. And throughout the novel, he makes these kind of decisions for, for that reason, because he knows, okay, like, this isn't what I want to do, but it's what I should do. This is what I need to do. And he does it. He's a good guy. I, I'm pretty fond of him. So obviously, I'm gonna, hopefully I got to spend a lot of time with him if we get yeah. more books in the series. <laughs> so. Adam is definitely one of the good ones and a great example of representation done right. Well, and I think also the privilege conversation is important because you know, if, if, I'm, if I'm very straight passing and I move through the world, that's a very different experience for somebody who cannot be straight totally. passing or somebody who is in the middle of transitioning, for example, if they're trans and that creates a different, a different reaction one of the things I really dislike in the conversation about coming out narratives is that coming out is this one-time thing. You know, you come out and maybe you deal with some static, but then everybody loves you and everything's great. So I kind of hate coming out movies a lot and coming out books because they miss what coming out is. I work in a very customer facing industry in my day job. I talking about my book to strangers, whether it's on the internet or whatever, tweeting about it, I have to come out every day and I have to come out every day to different people. And I don't know how that's going to go, especially in a work environment. I get a new teammate. I get a new coworker. Some point they're going to catch on to the fact that I'm not I'm a man of a certain age, not wearing a wedding ring. And, gener- and people ask, they ask personal questions. It's not like you can just float through life. People pry. Um, yeah. I'm a vegetarian and people are always looking at my plate going, what are you eating? Why is there a meat? I'm like, who cares? <laughs> Um, in some ways it would be nice if I just didn't have to deal with it. Like if I didn't have to discuss it, but it comes up and I just, I got a new job last year and I hadn't had any conversations in my interview process or working with my management about being gay, but I needed some PTO time off this summer because my mother passed away and my partner was also going through some things. So it, raised a question of, you know, how much do I want to come out? Do I want to say him? Do I want to say Brian? Do I want to not do that? That's one thing I really do think coming out narratives miss is that it's not just this one time awesome, here's your rainbow balloon party. There is more going on there. It's why one book I really like is Date Me, Bryson Keller, which is a young adult rom-com but the author is an he's a gay man of color and he's biracial like his main character and he goes into the description sometimes of why the closet might still exist why it's dangerous to come out how it can be dangerous to come out and he got some static for that some reviewers and people were saying why can't you just have the happy you know coming out process why can't why, why can't it just why can't it just be cute and sweet why do we have to have this conversation which is frankly like i don't know three paragraphs in the whole book spread out because that's the experience that's his experience and it it bothered me a lot that he got that critique so i like to um and i love that book by the way it's one of my favorites i listen to it on audio probably once or twice a year that sounds amazing that's that's actually the exact coming out story i want to read like it's it's about why it's not a one-time thing and it's about you know why like i feel like there's this question still Like um, I did an MFA in creative writing and was trying to find my voice writing gay characters. And it was like, it was a coming out in a new way for me at the time. And I I mean, people would always 
ask me or imply more imply which just made me feel really uncomfortable why like why is this character coming out so late in their life or like it's just normal now like why does it have to be a whole story about them coming out and I'm like because I need to write it <laughs> like I, I need to do it myself I'm trying to do it right now and you're not letting me so yeah and it, and it's not it's not again not everybody has the accepting I I watched the first season of Love Victor on Hulu. I haven't got to the second season yet. I lo- I love the moment when Victor emails Simon is like, "Screw you, man. You have these awesome liberal parents or, you know, you're white and everything's affluent and this is great. You come out and they love you." But it's not like that for me. It's not mm-hmm. that's my have these religious parents. I'm not, you know, that's not my experience and I hate that you are this like held up as this ideal. I love that Love Victor addressed that conversation and it made me I was like Thank you <laughs> for having it. That's awesome. And you mentioned you had a list of some some recommendations. Are there any other things you want to highlight from that list? Oh yeah, Th- this we could go on for a while, so I'll try mm-hmm. to keep it brief. Um, also, in young adult, I really love anything by Kale Dietrich. He writes these bu- big hooks, big concepts, like in the Friends game, uh, which is two rivals, two sons of rival gangster families who are literally at gang war falling in love. So it's kind of got a whole West side story, Romeo and Juliet angle with a lot of danger, but Kale, Kale captures teenage want better than anyone I've ever read. Like when, when one boy sees another and just wants him and just has that, that whole, all that feeling you felt as a teen, the first time you, you had that experience and of, you know, all those flutters and emotions flooding you he just got, he, man, he just nails that. I love his books. He has a new one coming out with Sophie Gonzalez about two boy band members called If This Gets Out Who Fall in Love and They Have to Hide It. Sophie Gonzalez also writes, she wrote um, Only Mostly Devastated, which is kind of a, a Grease retelling with a gay boy. She did some things with friendships and relationships in that book that I deeply appreciated around how teen one thing that gets missed i think a lot in young adult is the complexity of teen relationships and when friendships need to die and when they need to grow and i think um i think she did just such a stellar job with that if you're looking for epic fantasy my friend mason thomas has a number of books out start with lord mouse they were published with dream spinner now they're self they've been reissued self-published so i think the audios are out there i think sometimes the paper's a little weird Um, They are gritty, but if you're looking for epic fantasy, again, rogues and swords and dark magic, then Mason does that so nicely. Again, gritty stuff, though, so make sure that's what you want. In kind of a vein similar to mine is Katie Edwards' tarot sequence. So he writes urban fantasy, but with much more like an action movie with high magic. His stuff is also a bit darker than mine, but it's quite good. Um, The Last Sun, as in The Sun in the Sky, S-U-N, is the first one. And the third book's out soon. He's also just a really great guy. And um, he blurbed me, which I really appreciated. He blurbed Warlock. And I hadn't really, like I said, when I'm writing fantasy, I won't read fantasy. So I didn't read his stuff until Warlock was done and in, you know, off on its way to the printer. And then I read his stuff. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so good. So I was like, thank goodness. And then... We, we talked about different kind of different representation. C.S. Poe, she writes this steampunk magic series. It's called Steam and Magic. It's a combination of the Wild West and New York. And it is just 
I'll blast. Um, it's a federal agent who's a magician who is having this flirtation, falling in love with fight with an outlaw named Gunner the Deadly. So it's very pulp. It's very just actiony. And she has a writing partner, Gregory Ash. Now, Gregory writes cop, like dirty cops, very St. Louis, very um, definitely when I said gritty before, I really mean it for Gregory's stuff. Like things can get kind of brutal, but he shows kind of the seedier side of the gay community and he has gay villains. He shows a more complexity of character, right? So they're not all saints, but he writes, he has a couple of different series with these detectives or cops and he and CS Poe have been collaborating on a series set in New York. The first one is A Friend in the Dark. And it does such a stellar job of making New York feel like another character. The CS Poe writes these great quirky characters and Gregory writes these really gritty characters. And those are just two great tastes that taste great together. Like you can tell that they're dueling POVs and how well they play together. So I love their style and I hope they get the third one out soon. Very cool. Did you have any other ones you wanted to mention or is that... I I could literally go on all night. If you're trying to find... um, good sci-fi fantasy with just a wealth of different kinds of characters. Um, Barbara Ann Wright is a close friend of mine. I should disclose that. She writes a bunch of books for bold stroke books. She has about 13 and she has fantasy and sci-fi and space opera, just all this great stuff. That was one thing that um, when we need diverse books hit a couple of years ago and everyone said, you know, we need diverse books. What they were really saying is we need diverse books by big publishers, the, the big five, which are now the big four. Because really, there are these smaller presses out there like Boldstroke who've been doing this work for decades, and mm-hmm. they've got just an incredible catalog. So Boldstroke's a smaller press that Barbara writes for, and she has just this really great fantasy series. Start with the one called um, The Pyramid Waltz. That's her first one. And she's, it's a, what is that, a quartet? It's a quartet, four books in that series. Really good stuff. And then she has a bunch of other cool ones, including a sci-fi one that starts with Paladins of the Stormlord. At this point, I'm glancing at my shelf because it's it's pretty uh, crazy. Um, my friend Jamie Bean, J-A-Y-M-E, has a kind of a horror art. Um, if you think it jungle like a jungle horror book called Untouched, that's really cool. Rory Michelson's Lesser Known Monsters is set in London. He's got the second book out now. And that is, I'd say it's kind of adjacent to mine. Like it's sort of urban fantasy, but it's got a more... He's got, he's just got a really good representation and a lot of good stuff going on. Then my friend JP Jackson has a book called Summoned, which is a witch and a werewolf. Now it's a little more, I'll be very honest. I'm a very fade to black kind of guy. I do not like a lot of sexually explicit in my reading, by the way, (laughs) kind of a little Victorian that way. Um, it, It is a little bit on, it's by nine star and nine star right has that. They like a lot of sex in their books. And, um, so I'm, I'm kind of like skimming through those parts. I'll admit (laughs) But um, yeah, that's a good one. And then, uh, okay, I can stop there or I could keep going. <laughs> I, I will leave it up to you. If you want to keep going, you're more than welcome to. If you want to send over a list, we can share that too. Whatever works for you. Um, my friend, Ryan, I, I read, he has a book called The Jewel of Life series, which is epic fantasy with elves. And that's got some really cool, really cool stories in it. Again, if you're, Epic fantasy with gay characters is still weirdly hard to find. So whenever mm-hmm. I find one, I like jump into it. And Shadow of the Lost is his most recent as a gorgeous cover. 
Um, I have not read others than that though. So I am not fully endorsing, but again, it's like, okay, I liked that one. And oh my gosh, I'm trying to think. I mentioned Gail Carriger already. She has her whole amazing steampunk universe with LGBTQ characters sprinkled throughout it. She did one really cute novella, which is a holiday werewolf story that kind of a home for the holidays with the werewolves and it's set in Victorian times. And it, for me, so what's cool about Gail is she wrote this massive mega series. She has her young adult, her adult, which was the first series of five. And then she has the new adult. They're all set about 20, 30 years apart. And then now she is self-publishing novellas that fill in time periods. So what happened, the gay one that I really like is, is the story of these two werewolf characters that, you know, I, I basically had to wait like eight, 10 years to find out how this love story ends. And so you can, now it's all out there. And then she has this fantastic book called Romancing the Inventor. One of her characters in her main series, the Central Time series, is this fantastic female inventor slash mad scientist who is affects men's dress and she'll often wear a fake mustache. So she's got like a whole Marlena Dietrich thing going on. She's really cool. Ooh. And she got a novella about finding love again in her kind of later years. So I liked that too. That And Gail often does that. She'll often come back with a novella and say, okay, you knew this character when they were a teenager. Mm. Now I'm going to give you a novella that tells you what they're up to in their late forties. Cool. They're super fleshed out and real. Yeah, and she just got an animated series deal with the people who made Castlevania for Netflix. Oh, nice. So I'm really excited to see what they do with it. I love her books. Her books are, um, they're, they're really sweet and funny. And they just, they're always a comfort to me when I read them. The first one, Solace, is probably my favorite love story in fiction. And again, while they're not generally centered on gay characters they have great representation and diversity of representation she has one character who's sort of the linchpin to all of them and he is this incredibly sparkly over-the-top queenie vampire and so what's fun about him is is he's the opposite stereotype of a vampire right so you think of a vampire as this gothic brooding emo boy probably not unlike myself or Adam in his teen years. Uh, Lord Akeldama is not that way at all. <laughs> he's, okay. he's very like over the top and silly. And, but, he, but all of that hides this incredible intelligence in mind. So I, I just love her, the way that she handles him and the way that she handles her other characters. The gay, the gay werewolves in that series are who she's been writing under her GL character name, MM werewolf in contemporary times uh, stories, which again, I'm a little prudish, so they're a little too sexy for me, but okay. I still I still read them because I love Gail stuff. Awesome. There's so many books I need to read. I want to read all of those. Oh, you can you can tweet me anytime and say, give me a rec on that, um, and I'll find something for you. Okay, I will. I'll take you up on that for sure. I guess it's good for anybody who listens to this. Just tweet at me. <laughs> at DR Slayton. I need a gay book about, I'll, I will, if I don't know, I'll find it. Oh, one last one. I'm sorry. Um, my friend, Helen Corcoran, wrote this amazing young adult called A Queen of Coin and Whispers. It's about a young queen who, it's, it's young adult, I think I said that already, but she inherits the kingdom and it's broke. 
And she essentially has to save her kingdom through economics and intelligence. So it's not like a fantasy with swords and dragons, but Helen just does this beautiful atmospheric crafting and she's falling in love with her female spy master and they're flirting through pastries and book club. It's, it's sounds amazing. Yeah. It's a great book. I love, I love Helen's her tone and her world building. I cannot wait to see what she does next. And yeah. So you've given us a lot of great recommendations for books to read, but can you tell us a little bit about what's next in your books? So the third Adam book I mentioned, Debbie Druid comes out next year. That's everything I've got a dry ink contract on. (laughs) So that's kind of the only thing I can tell you about that said um, I have been writing I've written a proposal for a spinoff to the White Trash Warlock books to Adam's world that is set in the same world with some characters, one of whom would be central you meet in Trailer Park Trickster. So I'm I'm really hoping my publisher, Blackstone, who has been nothing but supportive and amazing, I really hope they pick it up. Um, I am edge of my seat excited. Then in addition to that, I have, I lose count sometimes because they kind of come in and out of editing. We have two epic fantasies right now on submission that I'm hoping to share with people soon. One of them, I will confess, is the book of my heart. It is a, I don't know quite how to describe it yet because I'm kind of, I'm, I don't want to get too hopeful about it, but I have really high hopes that I'll get to share this book with you someday. It's a, think of it like a, a Romeo and Julian set in a dark Venice with a strong Mediterranean energy. It's got a lot of gods and dark magic and light magic and betrayal and politics i I just it's it's a fantastic book it's currently currently titled last son of the night and i'm hoping we see that in print soonish and then i have a something i can announce very soon that's kind of a, a more geeky romance thing that's very not speculative but it was still a lot of fun to write and also i've been dipping into mystery if I do pu- end up publishing under mystery, it'll be a, probably a different pen name because there's this whole thing in publishing about how you can't have one name for multiple genres. But um, I've been working on a, a mystery book if, with a, thr- a strong thriller bent, more danger than your typical cozy or something. And uh, like I said, I've been reading a lot of them, so it's kind of been infecting my brain. And then I also have a space opera that we are probably be shopping in the next year or so, which is very much... More, it's more mass effect than Star Wars or Star Trek. Like it's got a very um, large stakes post galactic war. And it's about a, a pilot. Cause again, I mentioned my Finn and Poe love it's um, it's got a, it's a pilot with basically with some PTSD after losing his love in a final battle. And it's how he's trying to recover from that with a whole, you know, beautiful found family element and lots of danger and plot twists that I'm, and I've, the best thing about writing that was if you read the warlock books, you know, I like to create fantastic, weird species and, and monsters and creatures. Um, this let me just go crazy with aliens and making up all kinds of new fun things and ideas and concepts. So I'm, I'm hoping that one uh, gets to see the light of day in the next couple of years too. So all of that's uh, all of that's on the board, but unfortunately, right now, the only thing I can promise you is Debbie Druid. That's super exciting. That's a lot. Like you've been super busy, and you also have a book coming out next week. Yeah, Trailer Park Trickster, the second book in Adam series, is out on October twelfth in ebook, paperback, and audio. And 
it's funny because it's already shipped. A lot of bookstores are already selling it early. So you can probably get it now, honestly, but either way, Tuesday, the 12th, it's out and in the world. And I'm, I'm really excited. There is a character in this book that I mentioned how Adam is a lot of me. Adam's kind of my, my younger self before he knew too much, a little bit cocky sometimes. There's a character in this book that embodies all of my chaos monkey traits. And he's, a bit of a trickster. He's just fantastic. And I can't wait for the world to meet him. And I can't wait to see what they think about him. Awesome. I'm excited to meet him. I hope you like him. I'm sure I will. Those were all the questions I had for you. Did you have anything else you wanted to mention or? I did want to mention, I did want to say something about barrier gaze because it's something we kind of touched on, but never really got into, Mm -hmm. which is I do think originally barrier gaze came from a place of maybe empathy or sympathy, right? Of saying, let me show you that this character is human. Let me show you this character, that this this is a person and that you should feel bad when they die, right? Or when they go through tragedy. I think that need to engender the emotion and the empathy is what powered that trope or and started it. Or it was, and if you look at it from the darker or more cynical angle, it's society trying to correct and punishing you for being like that much as it much of fiction or media used to punish strong women, women who stepped out of their role, you know, suffered for it because they weren't fulfilling traditional female roles. But I I personally think it was trying to come from a place of empathy. That said, I really like to see that it's going away, that we're moving past it. I am getting a little, now I'm kind of feeling the other side of it, which is marry your gaze, right? Of, <laughs> I've got to give them the ideal happy ending. Mm-hmm. And I, I think of Kurt from Glee is a good example. In the first season, he was kind of manipulative and a little more interesting. He wasn't, he wasn't perfect. And then once they put him through the, the gay bashing storyline, he became St. Kurt and he could never have anything wrong with him. And everything he did mm-hmm. was ideal and he was perfect. And that's not entirely true. I'm, I'm, using a bit of hyperbole, but now we, now we kind of got that right. Where all the characters in the, in the story have drama, except the gay characters, they have to be the model minority. They have to be ideal. I want to find a middle ground, with complexity characters. He can be imperfect. Adam's a good example. Adam's a good guy. He's a hero, but he's cocky and he screws up pretty big early in white trash warlock that has lasting consequences for his series as you know you've read it so Mm -hmm. that that moment with a literal bang that's a cocky move he makes and i want i'd love to see more characterization get beyond just either you know saint kurt or tragic you know gay bashed person or or any of that i want i want I want it to be like my eye color. I don't stop and think my eyes are blue a hundred times a day. You know, I'd love for characters to be more like that. For sure. Yeah. That's a great point. Cause I think there's kind of a, a process happening where you're right. Like it started off super negative and then it went maybe too positive. So we need to work to getting to those realistic characters like Adam across the board. Yeah. Remember all the like movies in the eighties where the, the serial killer was going to be gay. Yep. Right. Like every time. Oh, he's gay. It's, it's him. He's the killer. Cause he's gay. Right, you can just yes. right off the top. Um, but I, and now again, I, I don't want, but I don't want the ideal. Oh, the, you know, the like, kind of like the magical drag queen, right? Like, Oh, the, we're the wise knowing figure who has to bring in saying, like, no, people are com- we're complicated. And I, and I think that's 
that's awesome. Yeah, we get to the point where the serial killer can just happen to be gay because that's who they are as a person, not because that's a plot point. That they're they're a serial killer because they're they have emotional baggage or something from being gay. Serial killers are people too. Well, that's what I think you're trying to say. Exactly. Well, on that note, um, <laughs> there's a good there's a good closing for you. <laughs> um, you mentioned uh, people can tweet you for book recommendations. Is there any anything else you want to share about where people can find you online or any events you're going to attend or anything like that? I've got all kinds of virtual events coming up for for Trailer Park Trickster. On the 13th, I'll be doing a live with Greg Heron, who writes for Bold Stroke Books. Um, He has lots of cool thrillers and mysteries and things. And that's on October 13th. You just Google it. If you just Google me, you'll find my website easily. Just David R. Slayton. Don't forget the R. When I first started writing, I didn't realize there were so many David Slaytons in the world. Otherwise, I might have gone with a pen name. But um, yeah, just David R. Slayton. And then on my website, it's got a link to all my appearances, whether they're virtual or online. I'll be at Denver Fan Expo um, all at the end of the month. I have, I'm always posting new writing workshops. If you're interested in writing, I'm always posting any kind of appearance I've got. I'll be at Coastal Magic Reader Weekend in February in Daytona, Florida, if you are ready for some beach time. But yeah, and you, you can find me anywhere on social media. So just just search on David R. Slayton and I'll, I should pop right up if you remember the R. Remember that R. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for joining me, David. This has been an amazing conversation. I really liked hearing your thoughts on representation and all the exciting stuff you've got on the go, all your recommendations and everything. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Will. This was a blast. A blast indeed. Wow, what a great discussion. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I'm going to include those recommendations that David made in the description of this episode. As always, if you have thoughts you'd like to share about this discussion, I'd love to hear from you. You can email your responses to this episode or ideas for future discussion topics to infinitediscussionpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you come back to join the discussion soon. See you next time. Mm-hmm.